me. A lot of you I hadn't seen since last year. <laughs> yeah. All right. But it is great to see you, and it's great to be the Church of Jesus Christ here this morning with you. Um, we had a pretty incredible December, didn't we? Of worship, of having the first Noel. Thank you for those of you who brought guests uh, to that event. Uh, we want you to continue to be a one heart at a time person, continue to seek as God's Holy Spirit convinces you and convicts you to share your faith with other people, to invite them into relationship with the Jesus that you know. Um, that's fantastic. We had an incredible brunch on the 16th. We had a great eve to the Christmas Eve uh, service on the 23rd. And just really just appreciate the good things that God has been doing in us spiritually as a body uh, as we looked at the uh, Righteous Yet Afraid series. But now we're going to turn back to Acts, to the Church Starts Now series that we put on pause right after Thanksgiving, and we're going to come back to it in Acts chapter 5 here this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there, uh, church, to Acts chapter 5. Church, what, what passage of Scripture are we in? Acts chapter 5. Great. And I got good news for you. My father-in-law makes peanut brittle, and uh, it's, not, it's, it's not the greatest. Judy DeYoung's peanut brittle is the greatest peanut brittle I've ever put in my mouth. But this is pretty close. It's good stuff, and I'm, I'm going to share it with you um, after the service, so look forward to a little bit of good peanut brittle, um, and just one final reminder, maybe, uh, of Christmas, and what wonderful offerings we received. Church, I want you to know that you gave incredibly in the month of December, and we recovered $45,000 in the month of December toward our budget deficit, and our budget deficit currently somewhere with end-of-year giving and not everything completely figured out, uh, probably resides somewhere around $35,000. And yet, because we've underspent our budget this year, when we total everything out, that deficit will be even smaller than that. And I also want you to know that when you pray toward our budget for this coming year, and you pray toward that vote that's ha happening next Sunday, remind you that your elders presented to you a conservative budget, a very difficult budget to put together uh, because um, of the deficits that we have experienced the last two years. And we don't want to experience that this year. So number one is, when you vote, I want you to commit to that budget and commit to tithe faithfully to your church, just as your covenant of fellowship um, uh, states in the Articles of Faith in our church constitution. I also want you to pray uh, for your church as well, that God would abundantly bless and that he would meet the, the needs of our entire uh, body. Um, but we made some tough and hard decisions, uh, but that is for the financial health and the spiritual well-being of this body of believers, all right? So hey, let's uh, pray together, and we're going get, to get right to it. I remind you that we are experiencing communion this morning, the remembrance of the body and the blood of Christ, and you should be preparing your heart continually for that, to remember the Lord and his sacrifice for us. Let's pray. Father, now we give to you our hearts and we say, Father, speak to them through your word, and we ask that the Holy Spirit that illuminates your fully inspired and revealed word, that it would come to us directly, directly and truthfully that no dispassion, apathy, or unbelief would block it from speaking its truth 
to us, even though it's a very difficult truth here this morning. We give up our unbelief. We yield to you our hearts. We, we make our souls available for, your, for nourishment by the word, encouragement by the word, but also conviction through your Holy Spirit. And as we've prayed in that small prayer group every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, we pray again, God, bring revival to our hearts. Bring revival. Oh God, what a, what a church this could be if all of its members were filled with your Spirit and had a holy desire to be pleasing to you in 2019. Oh God, bring us there. Bring us to that point, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 5. Church starts now, the threat within the church. We saw in Acts chapter 4 that there was a threat from without. That was the religious leaders in the community that came against Peter and John and said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Don't do this in the name of Jesus. And, and, and Peter and John said, hey, look, you guys do what you got to do. We, we're going to do what we got to do. And they, they, they discovered that they were unlearned, untrained, ordinary men, but they are people that had been with Jesus. And seven, six weeks ago, Mark Walters got up here and shared the last passage of Acts chapter 4, and we're going to refer back to it just a little bit, but it was about boldness and unity within the community, where generosity was just one expression of the power and grace that was happening in that church community um, at that time. And uh, Charles Spurgeon, he once had a man walk up to him and ask him where he could find a perfect set of Christians to whom he could then belong. And Spurgeon explained that he didn't know any perfect set of Christians, but if the man ever found some, to please not join them because he would ruin them immediately. Today we're going to talk about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the church. And I know you've heard it. I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. And I know you've also heard the joke that comes with it. Well, come and join us. We, we could always add another one, right? Hypocrisy in the church means that the church, in some way, doesn't behold the holiness of God correctly. Hypocrisy in the church means that somehow we convince ourselves that we can live out of our flesh rather than out of the spiritual power that God gives us in His Spirit to live and embrace holy lives. Hypocrisy. It may mean that we're even so blinded to the way that we're living that we don't even see our sin. It may be that we have sanctified religiosity in our flesh and we're living by law rather than by grace. But essentially what has escaped the heart of the hypocrite inside the church, and that means me, is the desire to please God above all else. The desire to please God above all else, to, to have their, my worship be before God and before God only, and to God and to God only. Church, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to need your help this morning. I'm going to need you to track with me. I'm going to be very straightforward. I'm going to come hard, and I'm going to come straight. It's, I'm going to ask multiple times if you're following me. Uh, because I want you to really follow closely because this is a very difficult passage. It graphically exposes sin. It graphically addresses sin. It graphically judges sin. And it strikes a tone of great warning to all who would want to be a God-glorifying church. And yet, 
and God's sovereign and providential planning for January the 6th, 2019, God has us here right now hearing his word. This is where God wants us, and this is where we're going to hear from the Lord. So today, plainly, we're going to talk about sin, and that sin is sin that is in the church. And someone might say, but aren't we past that? I mean, I mean we, we teach about living by grace. Aren't we forgiven sinners? Why focus upon sin? And many of the answers to that question, they are in this text But permit me to explain why we still talk about it. We still focus upon sin because Christians, while we are free in Christ and we've found liberty from the bondage of the sinful nature, we can and still do sin. And sin still is the number one hindrance to God's glory and proclamation of his message through the church. We see sin as the great barrier to the relationship with God, we address sin not only with increased increased attention as the church, but also with correct theology. We know we have Jesus, and so we're not so afraid of that ugly monster of sin because we know that Jesus can take care of it. We know he can handle it, but we also have this new holy desire. Theologically, we're thinking about ourselves, about how we've been recreated in Christ and been given a new nature that is, that, is, that is recreated in us to please God. We have this desire to please God and a holy hatred of sin if we're really the church of Jesus Christ. And so someone right about now is elbowing her husband or, or a son is elbowing his dad or something like that going, wow, we're going old school today. We're not going old school. We're not going new school. We're just going true school. This is scripture that we're going to deal with today. And it's going to be, it's going to be tough. And so it's without shame, but maybe a little bit of trembling that I come to you this morning to share these truths. Will we see the serious threat of sin to the unity of the body and the potency of the church to proclaim the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can we preach to a dying world and preach them out of their graves if we are still living as if we're dead in our sins. We can't do that. Are you tracking with me, church? Are you following? Yes. Great. So, let's get to it. Let's take a hard look at sin together. Let's permit the Scripture to speak to us. I'm asking that you and I now both yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So right now in your heart, by prayer, say, Jesus, be Lord over me. Lord yourself over me. And how does he do that? He does that through the faculty of the very person of the Holy Spirit of God that the church is sealed with until the day of redemption. Jesus, express your lordship through the help of the Holy Spirit. We come under the truth of your word. And let us be willing to ask you, God, where am I embezzling some of your glory? Show me my hypocrisy today. Where can we move from being toward being a God-pleasing church today? Well, here's where we can go. We can get honest, and we can welcome the Holy Spirit's sin-revealing ministry to us, and we can be so very glad that God addresses sin in the church. You say, but I want to I live by grace. Yes, God does want you to live by grace. And that is why he has graciously demanded and prescribed how to deal with sin in the church. 
Grace is the power to overcome sin. Grace is the power to defeat sin. Living by grace means that we can be victorious over sin, so we shouldn't be afraid of addressing it correctly the way that God prescribes. But we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 5, the embezzlement of God's glory. Some people are going to do something thinking that everyone is going to praise them and think that they're really generous, really compassionate people. And they're lying. They're keeping what does not belong to them. In Acts chapter 4, we saw the attack on the church from without, but now by the, from the religious leaders of the community, but now the, the attack is from within. The threat of the erosion of the holiness of the church Therefore, the erosion of the power of the church, the erasing of God's power from the church, that's a threat that we will see in Acts chapter 5. If you look at Acts 4.32, just a few verses before, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common." You see, generosity exploded in the church when the people became united and saw God's gifts as blessings for everyone. When they lived in the all-sufficiency of God, they didn't look at their things anymore and say, I'm sufficient because I've got this stuff. Instead, they saw the God who was the good gift giver from heaven the Father of heavenly lights, the one who's always being good, gracious, and sufficient for us. And they united around that. Now look at Acts 4.33. It says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them in this surrender. But there was a powerful testimony given to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. All right, So they are testifying to a power that can take someone dead and make him alive. All right, A power that had never been witnessed until Jesus had climbed out of the grave. The power of God to take his son Jesus from dead to alive was being shared with the community. How purposeless, how pointless would it have been to share that kind of power and to not live in that kind of power? For the church to say, this is how big and how great and how powerful God is, but this is how small I'm going to live in my sin. Pointless. So the church was living like people that had been brought from the dead in their sin to alive in their righteousness. They were living like a resurrected people, telling about the resurrected Christ. And so one of the first truths that we've got to understand here is that there is a great hindrance to God's working in the world through the church when the church fails to deal decisively with sin. Skipping a little bit to the end here, but I want you to hear it now and I want you to hear it later. Church, be glad that First Baptist Church is serious about sin. Be glad that the believers here want sin removed, want God to be glorified. Be glad that you have spiritual leaders that have the integrity and the courage to address sin when necessary. We would much prefer 
that in the preaching of the word and everyone coming under the discipleship that God calls us to in the scriptures, to know Christ fully and to make him known, that sin would be eradicated just as the Holy Spirit works in each individual believer's heart. But sometimes, sometimes, as we're going to see today, sin has to be addressed in the church. It's very public, it's very graphic, it's very ugly, it's pretty scary. But be glad, be glad that God wants to address sin and God wants to keep a holy church here at First Baptist Church. So after these two verses, we see in verse 30, 35 through 37 that the Scripture provides a positive example of sincere generosity in Barnabas. Barnabas, who is a true worshiper, who's living from his redeemed heart, his resurrected heart, he goes and he sells some land. He gives all of the proceeds from that land to that new church community so that it can be used for whatever needs exist. He decided in his heart, I want to sell the land and I want to give the money and that money will go to the church. And so he lays it at the disciples' feet. It's an act of sincerity. It's an act of submission. And it's an example of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He goes to the authority of the church and lays those gifts down before the disciples' feet. This is someone who's been responsive to God, who's been compassionate. This is someone who's been righteous, and he's held up. And surely that day, Barnabas really looked like a great guy, and people said, wow, I want to have his heart. I wish I had his heart. Who wouldn't want that same acclaim? Unfortunately, many of us want that same acclaim without living out truth, without filling up the example. A young boy one time named Billy he was in a new dentist's office. He already had four cavities, and he was only 10 years old, so he's filling out the information sheet with his mom. And the information sheet asked his age and his weight, and he was honest. Four foot nine, 115 pounds. And then the information sheet asked for his parents' name, and he was honest again, Bill and Betty. They asked for his hobbies, and he wrote, riding my bike, flossing, and discouraging my friends from chewing gum and eating too many sweets. For a moment there, Billy, I guess, thought that the dentist would buy it, right? A candidate who lied on his resume one time stated that he had three different college degrees, and yet when he gave his date of birth, it showed that he was 22 years old. Another woman said just last year that she had worked for Microsoft, but then when she was interviewed, she did not know who Bill Gates was. All of us are tempted to front, to put ourselves out there and project ourselves as better than we are and reveal something about an insecurity, a sinful and a fleshly insecurity that can rise up in all of us, and that is, I'm not complete in Jesus I can't live in the grace of God and let my ugly parts show. I can't be honest with God and therefore I can't be honest with people. So we lie about ourselves. And when we're lying about ourselves, we're lying to everyone, including God. Abraham Lincoln once stated, you can fool some of the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. So a simple question for you this morning. 
Simple question. Are you tracking, church? Are you tracking? You're tracking. A simple question for you. Can God be fooled? Has God ever been fooled? Has he ever been tricked? King Saul, King Saul, after a battle with the Amalekites, after being specifically instructed to spare no living thing, to wipe them out because of their wickedness, King Saul keeps back some cattle and some sheep from the battle, which he was strictly forbidden to do. And up walks the prophet Samuel, and Saul says, I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that is in my ears? God has never been fooled. But in our sin of pride, we think sometimes we can trick God. And so what's going to happen here in this passage is a testing of God. How will God stand up to this test of duplicity and hypocrisy of pride, of wanting to be, to, to project oneself as better than I really am. How do you test God? How do you test God? Well, the same way that you would test a rope for its strength. If a rope is strong enough to hold a thousand pounds, if you put 1,500 pounds and hang it from that rope, that rope will snap. The same way you test a genius for his knowledge. If he's a genius, then he better know algebraic equations. He better know all the capitals of all the nations. He better know a whole lot of stuff. You test him and ply him with that. How would God not see the sin of hypocrisy if he's the God of all truth? Would he set aside his holiness? Would he turn and look away? All right, now let's look at the passage. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11, beginning in verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard those things. This is God's word. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Thank you for such respect for God's word. Now, just a couple of things to clarify here. First of all, this is not Peter speaking in his own authority. This is a church leader that is expressing the authority that the Holy Spirit has over the church. For those who give their lives over to Jesus Christ, they have a holy call upon their lives to live differently, to live a sacred and holy life unto God. And they have that divine enablement through the Holy Spirit, which with, 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 which, with, with which we have been gifted by God to live that changed life. So Peter really isn't the bad guy here. I want you to understand that that the main character of this story is not Peter, it's not Ananias, it's not Sapphira, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character, and he's showing us how through the church of Jesus Christ, he plays out his role immaculately. He confronts sin, he judges sin, and he deals decisively with sin. All because... God's protecting his holiness in the church of Jesus Christ. So here we see, here we see that God is being tested. Would he see the sin? Would God see the sin? If he saw the sin, would God let it slide? Would he remove any immediate consequences of his sin? Would God really make a big deal over sharing some, but not all of the proceeds? So this is how the couple's thinking. It's as if God has just turned his back, all right? And they just sneak up right behind him and do their wickedness, and God never sees it. As if they could hide their true hearts. As if, the way we think sometimes, when it's most convenient, when backs are turned, that we can do anything that we want. Isn't that the allure of your cell phone? of your screen, no one else is watching. No consequences. And how do we think that God responds to that kind of test? Uh, Jay, hey man, I had some peanut brittle up here. Yeah. Well, I don't mean to accuse or anything, and I know that we're supposed to be really gracious in the church, um, but did you, thanks, did, did, you, did you happen to take the peanut brittle? No, 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 this is my breakfast, I didn't have breakfast this morning, so, okay. you know, sorry about eating in church, but, yeah. oh, that's a nice lady. But, okay, but I just turned around just for a second, and it was gone, and then I saw you, you know, with that bag, and it sure looks like peanut brittle in the bag. And oh, oh, it is peanut brittle. Yeah, it's just not my peanut brittle. Uh, no, it's it's in my hand, so I guess it's mine. Oh. Okay. All right. Well, since yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jay. Is this how we can think about God? Is this how we can think? Because here's the, here's the funny thing is, we certainly don't want Jay to be struck dead right now, do we? We don't want him to lose his, especially as we're praying for a new heart for Jay Raymond. Oh, Lord, please, don't strike him dead for, for uh, 
maybe denying that he stole the peanut brittle. Okay? But this is very real, what we're seeing with Ananias and Sapphira and how they tested the Lord and how will God stand to the test? He does see. He does expose the truth. He does deal decisively with it. So they're not just testing God, but they're lying to the Holy Spirit of God. This is very personal. The person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Really, the last scenario is not even close to what actually happened. John Philip states it this way. The Holy Spirit was there when the land was put up for sale. He was there when the bargain was struck. He was there when the deed was signed. He was there when the money was exchanged. He was there when Ananias and Sapphira plotted to hold it back. It was uh, as like the embezzlement happened right in front of the boss. It was as if, literally, right at that moment, they walk right up in front of the Holy Spirit and lie to him, steal, take away those goods. It wasn't so much that God had his back turned. The truth of the matter is that God was watching the whole time. He sees everything, the Holy Spirit, and that's why the Holy Spirit is there, to quicken us, to help us to see our sin. So here's the good news, is Jay didn't know that I had another bag of peanut brittle. Yeah. And wait, wait, wait. You just took that. You just took, I see, I see it behind your, I see it behind your back, Jeremy. I know that you just took it. I just took it out of my pocket. Jeremy, just, I feel like I'm in an argument with a toddler. Do you feel that way? I just watched you walk up and take it. I watched you walk all the way from the back to here and then take it right as I put it on the table. Jeremy, church, did you see him do it? Did you see him do it, church? Did you see him do it? Kids, did you see him do it? I saw you do it. We all saw you do it. Listen, okay? You must be blind. All you guys must be blind because I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, so you're, you're saying you didn't just take that last bag of peanut brittle and deny this whole church of its yummy goodness. Nothing in my hands, you see. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Church, are you tracking? Are you tracking? That is what happened that day. That's what happened that day. Scripture says that all of creation will be laid bare before the eyes of the Lord who doesn't miss anything. He sees it all. It was personal The Holy Spirit was lied to. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, how can we become thieves in our hearts? Because the word there for to hold back or to keep back there in this passage, it literally means to contrive a way to keep what is not yours. It means to embezzle. It literally means to embezzle. And some would say, well, can we cut Ananias and Sapphira a break? Because they volunteered to give this. They gave some of it at the very least. And I want to remind you, some people say, oh, well, Peter must have known or someone else must have known. No, there's no evidence there because Ananias and Sapphira come believing that every single person has been duped. 
has been tricked. The Holy Spirit has let the authority of the church know so that the church could be preserved. You have a personal responsibility to God in your holy, co- in your holy calling, but you and I, we have a church responsibility as well. So how can we become thieves in our hearts? Well, we can come under the demonic influence of Satan. That's another very disturbing part of this passage where Peter says, Ananias, how has Satan so filled your heart? Let's not miss that. We can have debates about how far demonic powers can go to influence Christians, but we cannot deny, as Ajith Fernando states, that we can become so obsessed with a worldly lie from the devil. He's called the prince of the power of the air that we get carried away and we are blinded to the consequences. We can. The phrase used in the passage is that Ananias and his wife kept back. They embezzled. They contrived to do that. So how do we become thieves? It's when we convince ourselves in our hearts in some way or another that God is not sufficient and that we need something apart from him. And so we may start with this phrase, I do not trust God. Or maybe we start with, I want something that God does not want, like King Saul. Or maybe I say, I need to impress certain people to feel secure about who I am. Or we say, as Adam and Eve did, I need to hide my ugliest parts and cover up. You see, the real concern of Scripture is not our ownership of resources. This wasn't about distribution of money at all. The real concern of Scripture is not about our ownership of resources, but God's ownership of us, the church. If we make a commitment to Jesus Christ, will we keep that holy commitment to him? And where does God give us an example and a lesson here this morning? He does it through Ananias and Sapphira, the embezzlers of God's glory. And the question the Holy Spirit has for each of us as we begin to look toward the communion now is, is God how have I embezzled? If I were really to be honest with you here this morning, if God would gain great glory in our church and listening on the podcast too, if you would take the time right now and give God glory by getting honest and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal in you any hurtful way toward God, any lie that you are living, that I am living, let's come to a few conclusions about how the passage can build us today. First of all, let's get some things clear. Sin is a threat to the church and the very gospel that we proclaim. A church that does not have power over sin is powerless to proclaim the gospel. It's a threat from within. If we want our God to be glorified, then we want to address sin. And so we do. God gives the church his Holy Spirit to express the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives and to empower us all to handle sin well. A second thing, you want the church to help you out of sin. Look at how the world treats people. Burning bridges and burning people up. Never forgiving, holding accusations out against them. And yet the church is able to apply the grace of God, proper theology and a proper sociology so that we have a great, true, sincere worship of God and that God always wins. You want the church to help you out of sin. The consequences of ignored sin are far worse. Look again at this couple. They keep back a little, but they lose everything. 
And all the while, the church is hindered in its main goal of knowing Christ and making him known. Another recognition is this. You want church leaders to have the courage and integrity to represent the gospel in addressing all sin in the church. You want that. Believe me, you want this. That does not mean that your elders are sin cops, that your deacons are the sin Gestapo. It does not mean that at all. But be glad that we want our church to be holy. Be glad that we pray. And every Sunday morning, I, as one of your elders in prayer, I confess all of the sins of our church to God. Did you know that? I've been doing it for 10 years, confessing all of the sins to the church to God, knowing that all of those sins can be taken by God, extinguished by God, through the blood of Jesus, so that we can all walk in grace and holiness. But you want your church leaders to care. You want them to have the courage and the integrity to represent the gospel correctly and in, in addressing unrepentant sin. I know we would much prefer that sin be sometimes swept away quickly by honest, sincere confession, by godly submission in every heart. And please do that here this morning. If there is sin in your life, remember, I'm not going old school, I'm just going true school. If there's sin in your life, give it up now. If you are looking at pornography on your phone, stop. If you're in an, in an inappropriate relationship on social media, stop it. Kids, if you're lying to your parents and you're hiding things from them and you're living a cover-up, don't do it anymore. Confess this to God. If you have held a grudge against me, against an elder, against a deacon, against another member of this body, and you've come to worship and even thought about coming to the communion, still holding that grudge, making sure that you still have some imagined power over that individual because of your holy hatred of them. Give it up. Confess that sin. Go make things right with your brother. The scripture says, leave your gift at the altar and run and make things right with your brother and then return. And do that. Be glad that we care about sin. Be glad that we want the power of holy God working in his body. We want our lives to proclaim the message as boldly as our mouths. And maybe, maybe sometimes when we fall into these temptations, it's the reasons why our mouths are not even proclaiming. And I say to myself, why should I share the gospel with anyone when I'm not living it? Live it today. Live it today. For the sake of God's glory, under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, as Peter did, call yourself out of sin, even call your sister or your brother out of sin. Now, I'm not going to make you do this, all right? I feel like We've made you uncomfortable enough already this morning, especially, you know, when you see two spiritual leaders in the church come up and steal your pe peanut brittle, right? But imagine doing this. Imagine driving home, men. Men, are you listening? Are you tracking? Are you listening? Men, I want to hear it. Are you, are you tracking? Are you listening? Are you going to hear this charge? Okay. Imagine going home to your wife, to your kids, and saying, I can help with sin. I can help. I'm going to deal with it with theological correctness, meaning that you don't have to stay condemned. 
Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to deal with it graciously, but we're going to deal with it honestly. We're going to say, hey, this is sin that separates us from God. Here's how we deal with it. We're going to forgive as Christ forgives, as the scripture also teaches. We're going to heal our way forward. Couples, married persons in the room, are you, are you living small because of sin? How's your relationship with God? Tell me how you can have a wrong relationship here and think that you have a right relationship here. How can you have, how can you think that you, when you have a wrong relationship here, that you can have a, wrong, a right relationship here? Imagine going home, men, and saying, maybe purpose in your heart today, go home, get in the car. First thing to say is, hey, look, I'm going to shepherd us through sin. I'm going to lead us through that. Moms, the same. Wives, the same. Hey, I'm going to help our family through sin. Because here's the deal. True worship is worship in truth. What the passage reveals to us today is that Ananias and Sapphira were not true worshipers, even though on the outside they gave more than most. They weren't true worshipers. If I'm not honest with myself, I'm not honest with God. And by the way, Jesus hit hypocrisy really hard in his public ministry. He did. He called religious leaders hypocrites, whitened sepulchers, clean on the outside but rotting on the inside. Hebrews says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All right. So, first of all, true worship is, is worship in truth. But second of all, recognize the satanic campaign. Church, there's a satanic campaign. And, and folks, I've been praying. I've prayed myself up for this moment. There's a satanic campaign to shut down God's glory. Peter says, Satan has filled your heart. It's a cutting description, but the Greek actually means that Satan has exercised control over your decisions. Satan tricked you, he convinced you, and you did, Ananias. When people are not honest with themselves and they're not honest with God, God cannot work where he has refused entry. And so that satanic campaign comes. Ray Steadman says it this way, the moment that we start pretending to be what we really are not, death enters in because our life is in Christ, not our lies. Don't, you can't lie to God, but you can lie to the devil He'll love it. Thirdly then, the church has got to deal decisively with sin. The gospel is not the gospel if we do not walk in the freedom from sin that the gospel offers us. Here, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Church is a part of the gospel. Do you agree with the gospel of Jesus Christ, church? 
Do you? You do? As a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you willing under the, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, administrated by his Holy Spirit, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions? To, to not take in everything that this world has to offer and to not live like you are offering yourself to the world, but to instead live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. Are you willing to? Then we've got to deal decisively with sin. We've got to do that. And finally this, and team, come up. We're going to get ready for, for communion. We want the church prescribed by God, enabled by his Holy Spirit, to address sin, certainly. And we, while we would not like a repeat of that fierce holiness, uh, Jeremy, where are you? How are you doing? Is he okay? Okay, he's still alive. We would not want a repeat of that fierce holiness that we saw with Ananias and with Sapphira. We must accept that God dwells in fierce holiness. And another thing that the passage tells us, and this is why holy fear is healthy fear, this passage is telling us there's still time, but there will be a time when there is no time. There will be a time when all of us will be held to account before God. There will be a time when there is no time. And so how do I take what we learned here this morning and translate that to the communion, the remembrance of Christ giving his body and his blood for us? I do it this way, is to say, the grace of God's available to you right now. It's available to you. Now, it doesn't come through the administration of this. It doesn't come through the consumption of the bread. or whatever. It comes in the by-faith remembrance that you have of Jesus Christ. You know by faith, sola fe, and sola gracia, and by grace, that you have freedom from sin and forgiveness from sin in Jesus. And so we as the church do exactly what Jesus asked us to do. We... We, we represent the metaphor of Christ's body and his blood so that we can remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we can come here together no matter how ugly, no matter how, how, how much we've covered up, no matter how much we've lied to ourselves and, and, uh, and hypocritically been duplicitous before God, we can come here and remind ourselves of the great verse in Romans 5.8. For God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are tracking, church. Church, we need Jesus. We need holiness to proclaim Jesus to our world. Would you take some moments now to prepare your heart for communion? Parents, make sure that you are coaching your children through the communion. If your child has not yet accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, again, offer the gospel to your child right now. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've heard the truth here this morning, you recognize that without Jesus, there's no way that you can have a relationship with God. If you want to take the communion today, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior you need to say, God, take away all of my sin. I recognize that Jesus is the one that atoned for all of my sin and took it all away so that by the grace of God, I can live the life that God, you want for me. Come to know Christ as your Savior. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, 
Now give sincere and honest worship to God as you just reflect and look at your life. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for praying with me and helping me through a very hard message. Now let's respond to God. We'll take some silence first.